Hey there, mighty men. I'm your host, Dr. Dave Paschkowski, founder of Men Made For More Coaching. Our business helps husbands level up their life, their leadership, and their legacy in marriage and in business. The purpose of this podcast is to bring together like-minded men that feel destined for big things in their life and provide you the resources and community that you need to lead yourself, your family, and your business. If you've ever felt overwhelmed, frustrated, lost, or alone on your journey to a better and more purposeful life, you're in the right spot. You weren't designed to be average, so it's time to quit living that way. Today, I'm giving you permission to unlock your true potential and step into all that you were made for. All right, guys, welcome to today's guest episode of the Men Made For More podcast. Uh, joined with Todd Palmer today, and I'm really excited for this one. Uh, he, he just wrote a, a book that came out earlier this year from Suck to Success, and uh, among many other things, though, Todd's an executive coach, a keynote speaker, a renowned thought leader, author, and CEO who's committed to helping business owners tackle their obstacles and clear their path to success. And as an entrepreneur and active CEO, Todd knows the struggles business owners face regarding people, cash, strategy, and execution. He took his company from being $600,000 in debt, hard to believe, to making the Inc. 5000 as one of America's fastest growing companies six times too with that. Uh, He specializes in helping leaders join the mission statement of the organization with their personal core values while addressing fears, self-doubts, and imposter syndrome. He brings a unique blend of authenticity, transparency, and vulnerability to help leaders and organizations achieve their highest goals. And he's here today to share his story, what he's learned along the way, and his proven framework for helping business owners achieve success. All good stuff is going to be so relevant for uh, the people listening here. So Todd, thanks so much for coming on. Oh, Dave, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. So of all those things, I mean, I, I'm reading, I'm reading through the intro and it's like, I mean, the, the debt and taking it to Inc 5,000 and, and just all the other things were blended in core values and those things. Uh, what kind of, what kind of led you on this, on this journey to, to begin with? Maybe let's rewind a little further back to what got you going on this, on this track. Well, I, I decided to be an entrepreneur because I was pr- a pretty much a terrible employee. Uh, it wasn't something I was very good at. Uh, I started my company for literally next to nothing, like $15,000. And 10 years into my journey, you know, I had some good years and some bad years. And, you know, I thought everything I was reading in the literature at the time said, oh, you know, once you get past that five-year mark, it's easy sailing. You get, you're going to crush this. And I hit that 10-year mark and I was in really bad shape. Uh, my imposter syndrome, which for me is kind of my itty-bitty shitty committee in my head, telling mm-hmm. me how much I suck, how I don't know everything. And I have to be all things to all people and I'm not. And other people know things that I don't. And they're smart. Yeah, all the different my, you know, yeah. the, the, the mind noise we have um, really put me in a, in, a, in a spot where, you know, the business was, as you said, was $600,000 in debt on a $2 million run rate, which you know, the math is really simple. I was upside down and I didn't even know it. Like, I didn't know it because I kept lying to myself. Well, I'll figure the finances out. I'll figure it out. I'll sell my way out of it. And none mm-hmm. of that worked. None of it worked. And um, <clears throat> the, the bank called. They wanted their money. So they didn't have it. They said, okay, we're going we're gonna to take the business. We're going to cl- shut you down. And at that point, I, I really got, I decided I've got to put my fears and self-doubts aside and I got to get some help. It was the first time in my career I'd asked, actually asked for help and I hired a coach. The coach came in. We took a look at the business. We took a look at the finances. We took a look at the things we were doing poorly. It changed a lot of what we did. As we talk, as I talk about in the, in the book, we, we put in the active learning cycle on how to do problem solving in a way that created an iterative learning platform versus a, a win or lose, fail, you know, succeed or fail mindset. And you know, over the next, by 2013, we, we got all $600,000 paid. Uh, the bank was by hook or crook and 
you know, twisting of arms. They gave me a new line of credit just a couple months in. They, th- they saw that we were changing because really what needed to change was me as a leader. In order to change the business, I had to change myself. So that's what I coach people around now is inside-out leadership. Mm-hmm. Cleared out that debt, re- retooled the team, started hiring people for their DNA, not for their resume. And we made the Inc. 5,000 six times as one of the fastest-growing companies in America. And, and from there, I, I set the business up to run without me. And you know, for the last four years, I've been coaching people around inside-out leadership, helping them get unstuck around their imposter syndrome, helping leaders lean into not away from difficult conversations with people to help leaders, you know, figure out what do you, why are you doing what you do? Why did you start this business? Sure. We all want to make money. That's important. You got bills to pay, but there's, there's a deeper core purpose in why we do what Mm -hmm. we do. And and since then I've I've had clients that, you know, one of my clients gave me a great video testimonial, Tom, like the first year with me, his revenue grew 70%. He was pretty excited about it. Then he goes and shares like the big surprise and my profits grew 500%. A lot of us get into business thinking we know certain things, which is true. But there's so much we don't know. And that's that's partially why I wrote the book and partially why I coach it, is to help people get what they want the way they want it so they can create that life by design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's also good. And, and would you say that, I guess what I hear is like, there's there's those blind spots in business. So those things <laughs> that, like you said, you didn't even know they were there. Was it the coach that originally revealed those things or was that oh, through gosh. some self-reflection or how that came Oh, about? gosh. It, yeah, yes, yes, and yes. Uh, <laughs> The, the coach was was really powerful in that respect. And I, and I give, you know, I've had two coaches. I mean, I've had Greg, who I started out with, and now Danny, who I currently have. And, and I've had a coach in my life since 2006. I believe that I, if I'm going to coach, I should have a coach. I should sharpen my skills and abilities. And, you know, there's, this, there's an exercise they call the Jahari window. And in the Jahari window, there's four quadrants. And there's the quadrant in the window where there's the part of me that I know and the part of me that you know. Then the second part of the quadrant is the part of me that I don't know that you know. And then the third part, is the part that, that I know that you don't know. And the last part is the part that neither one of us know. Mm-hmm. Well, the value for me in having a coach was he, he was really able to put a spotlight on the parts of the business that I was either kidding myself on that I thought I knew that I didn't know. I mean, this, this coach ran a $600 million company. He's like, there's a lot you don't know what you're doing here. I'm like, oh, that was painful. <laughs> um, but, he, but he helped coach me through it. And, and part of the battle was to recognize that I don't have to know everything. And that the only way I, I'm going to learn, the only way I'm going to grow as a leader is to try different things. And if I try something and it doesn't work, it's not a failure forever. It, we tried it, it didn't work. But underneath the, the surface of what maybe didn't work, there's probably a couple of things that did work. And we, how do we take those and move those forward? Because it's, a, it's an iterative learning cycle. It's always, it should have inertia behind it so that we're always trying different things. And you know, the classic for me is $600,000 in debt. You know, that's a pretty big number. And I, if I went into it with a win or lose mindset, you know, an expectation, not an intention, who knows if I would have ever gotten out of it. But we tried so many different things over the course of three to four years. We tried this, some of it worked, some of it didn't try that. Ultimately, we came up with a model where, you know, we found an increased demand and a diminished supply in the human capital space. I owned a staffing business. And we were able to find a place where we were able to get paid faster, get paid more, and own the marketplace, not from a client perspective, but from a candidate perspective. And that was huge in helping us turn that business around. But if you had asked me in 2006, how do I get out of debt? I would have said, eh, I don't know. Yeah. And that's, I agree. The power of having coaches. I've had, I use multiple coaches as well. And it's just like, there's, there's those blind spots that always come up that, that we can't see. And uh, I want to know, I want to hear a little more about that expectation versus intention. What can you, can you maybe elaborate more on that with so oh, say, get, say getting out of debt? Like what, what would an expectation be versus, versus setting it? Oh, intention? sure. So, so my coach, Danny, his name is Danny Friedland. He wrote a great book called um, living, leading well from within. He's literally a neuroscientist. 
And um, uh, I've been, he's talking about having coaches in your life. He's been my coach now, God, going on our eighth year. I uh, used Greg for six years prior to that. So I'm, I'm all in on the coaching piece. Mm-hmm. And, and because he's a neuroscientist, I'm always asking him questions. Why do I do the dumb things that I do? Why do I do the crazy, make the crazy decisions? Well, I've got clients that are doing things that are counterproductive. And when you take a look at specifically, at, you know, expectations versus intentions. Expectations psychologically are win or lose. Either either happened or it didn't. And that lives within the the amygdala. It's at the lowest functioning part of our reptile brain. You pivot up into intentions, you're actually using the higher cerebral cortex. And in this that gives you the 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 the, um ability to have options, the ability to have creativity around something, the ability to pivot and try things. And so in the active learning cycle, second stage is intention, not expectation. You know, we we have first step. What's not working? Well, being $600,000 in debt, I can raise my hand. That wasn't working for me or my family. <laughs> so my intention, not my expectations, I've got to find a way somehow to get out of debt. I'd like to get out of debt. Expectation would be is I've got to get out of debt within two years, doing it mm-hmm. this way to these customers in this model. That wasn't going to work. Then we create a strategy around the intention, which ties into the, what we want to fix that isn't working. And then we put massive action and, and activity and get feedback around it. And the great thing about the, the active learning cycle is you can use it at any time and at any part of that process as you get new information, as you get new pieces of knowledge. So by staying in a higher operating part of our system, in our higher cerebral cortex, it literally gives us more options to be able to make better decisions quicker, faster, and easier. Mm, that's so good. Yeah. I love the intention part of, of not, not being so attached to what has to look this specific way. And I'm sure that's where, you know, I've seen myself get stuck in that a lot of times or other, other business owners. I know that, uh, it's, it's a common place to be like, well, but it has to look this certain way. And it's like, well, what if it, you know, what if it looked this way, but you got the same outcome. And it's like, that's, there's this disconnect between like being, being too rigid in the, in the process and, and getting the way the outcome. Well, that's a fixed mindset. The, the the really the intentional part that sits underneath it is the growth mindset, and you know this happened a lot during COVID. People had a very fixed, rigid mindset on something that maybe worked for them for a decade, two decades, and all of a sudden, boom, their paradigm gets shifted through no fault of their own. It, it but the the part of the growth mindset becomes sometimes the frustrations of COVID happen for me, not to me. Mm-hmm. Now, for for my business, for example, I was supposed to be on six different stages in three different countries. That was the model to market my coaching services was to go speak from stage. Well, boom. By March of 2020, that was gone. That option was no longer available. It wasn't like I didn't book it. it. wasn't like people didn't want me to come, but the option to speak from stage was removed, again, through no fault of anyone. And I, so I had to figure out, why do I ultimately do this? Well, a dozen years ago, I was blessed to work with Simon Sinek. Mm-hmm. And the work I did with him came up with two words, improve lives. I kept telling myself in a fixed mindset, the only way I can improve lives was to get on stage. Well, the reality became relatively quickly is I can improve lives from anywhere. I can show up on a podcast like yours. I can go speak virtually. So I started doing a ton of volunteer work. I spoke with 42 CEOs in 67 days for free. I got zero clients from that. But what I did get was a sales force to tell their friends, to tell people in their network. And so from COVID, my business has grown 400%. I never would have predicted that. I didn't have the expectation that it would. I had the intention of being of service to others because when I'm of service to others and I improve their lives, I get the aha moments, the light bulb experiences, which is why I do what I do. Would you say too many people want results too quickly? And that's why they're not willing to like give enough, give enough that it's like, oh, well, this didn't work in two months. So this business must not work or this, right. this direction might not work. 
absolutely. You, you get very fixated on this is the way it should go, or this is how I read about it in a book to go. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, one of the greatest books I read during the COVID times because I had plenty of time to sit around was a book called Content Inc. And Content Inc. kind of like the Gary V model is to give out a lot of information, to give out a lot of yourself, and get up, give and give and give and give. And I found if I gave without expectation, magical things happen. You know, I, I put a message out on, on social media that I would talk to CEOs. Someone saw it. They were giving a big speech to a big group of entrepreneurs. And who and I, her name is Deb Gabor. I'd never met Deb. And she messaged me the morning of it through because we're Facebook friends, which means we've never probably met each other. <laughs> and um, she goes, hey, by the way, I just want to let you know I'm going to use your content in my speech today. I said, well, I, I go, that's kind of funny because I'm actually going to be in the audience for your speech today. She goes, oh, my gosh, can I bring you out and can we talk about it? I'm like, absolutely. Uh-huh. From there, I made a great friend. So she actually contributed a chapter to my book. I've gotten uh-huh. clients from it. Because I was putting it out there, I didn't say, well, yeah, if you, you can use my content, but you got to bring me on stage or you've got to do this. You got to do this. Yeah, sure. I mean, because I, belie- I believed in what I was doing for the right reasons. So mm-hmm. when we approach it with that huge thought process around the, the ability to have the, the intention of giving to others, not the expectation that I'm owed anything. For me, it's, it's been game changing for my business. Mm-hmm. And we've seen the same thing in, in our businesses and the things that the, the friends I have, the colleagues I have, the people that I see elevate themselves the quickest are not from like pushing other people down and climbing to the top. It's they're, they're just serving and they're giving and they're giving. And it's like, well, how'd you get to this point? And it's like, I've, I've done thousands of repetitions of just like things for free for, and it's practice, it's, it's learning, it's building trust. It's all those things. Yeah. Dave, you know, I, I love what you just said. I, if it, people don't take anything more out of our conversation than that, you know, someone says, well, how long have you been coaching? Well, I've been coaching for, I've been coaching full-time for four years and I have 18 clients. Life is pretty good. I speak probably two, three times a month. Life is pretty good. Looking back, I volunteer coached for over 15 years. I worked with entrepreneurs who couldn't afford to pay me. I have people literally for free create million-dollar companies. So I could figure out what I did differently than other coaches. Um, during the COVID times, I really doubled down and gave and gave and gave. And it really polished my skill set. And you know, it's, whether you're a musician or an athlete, or it's a, the more you practice your craft, the more you keep what works and get rid of what doesn't. You know, I, so my specialty is it's on the cover of the book, you know, it's 11, you know, I help people go from suck to success. I help them get unstuck around what's holding them back. I have a model and a methodology for doing that. 14, 18, 24 months ago, I was probably a little more generic in my, now I'm very clear because as you probably know more than most, good branding should bring in your ideal customer and repel your non-ideal customer. Mm-hmm. So I'm very clear in what I do. If someone wants a process like a scaling up or an EOS, I know the processes. I've used them in my business. I use them with my clients, but that's not what I do. At my core, I help people get unstuck so they can get to where they need to go so they can grow their business, grow their lives, life by design. If you need a process, let's insert the process. Most people know a process by and large. They're choosing not to do it. We have gym memberships. We choose not to go. Why is that? And how do we get that, that behavior pattern to shift? What, what gets people, what, what are some things you found that gets people, gets people stuck? Or, or maybe a better question would be how do the people that are obviously stuck $600,000 in debt, that's, that's stuck. But like, how do, <laughs> how do people identify those when they are in that spot where they don't know they're stuck? Like, what are some things where they, they're maybe lying to themselves? Like you said, where for a while you were lying to yourself and saying like, Hey, I, this is going better than it is. Like, what, uh, what are some ways to, uh, I guess, bring that, bring that to light of being like, hey, maybe I am stuck. Maybe I should consider trying something different and not just banging my head into the wall. Sure. The, the, the one thing I always tell people to do is ask. So as a coach, my job with my clients is to coach them to coach themselves. And one of the key ways to do that is using the active learning cycle. If you're trying something that's not working, then drop it into the process. 
Secondarily, you know, ask yourself or find someone to ask you generative questions. And a generative question in my experience is really, it's a really complicated thing. Tell me more. So, so, so Dave, you, you think the, the greatest business to have is to have a, um, a snow cone machine company in Alaska. Tell me more why you think that's a really great idea. And you talk people through it and talk people through it. Ultimately, there's, there's usually a kernel of why they want to do it. So let's just say the snow cone idea is you want to serve great desserts in Anchorage, Alaska. Have you, have you thought about maybe serving s'mores? They might be a little bit. Mm. And so better, even a better example. So at a, someone I worked with last year, they had a, a high-end restaurant on the West Coast in California, a little bit north of you up in the San Francisco Bay Area. And you know, they were you know, 2,000 square feet, high-end, average ticket, you know, $600, you know, wine and steak, all that good stuff. But talking to the CEO, why did he get into that space is had nothing to do with food. It had to do with he wanted to create magical date nights for people. That was what drove him. And he's like, yeah, I'm shut down. I don't know what I'm going to do. I got this rent. I got all these issues. A couple, couple sessions later, he pivoted into, I because his goal was not to necessarily build a high-end restaurant. His goal was to have great date nights. We pivoted that into, he started making $60 pizzas. Mm. He reduced his staff down to just a few people. And from that position, he did $3 million in sales in 12 months on pizza because his, his marketing, his point is, you're at home, you want to have a great date night with your spouse. And he created these marketing campaigns. He got fired up about it versus, well, I don't know what I'm going to do with this big space. I, you know, I got all these ovens, got out of his lease, he pivoted, but he anchored it into why he was doing what he did versus how he was delivering that great date night experience. He just pivoted well, maybe not slightly, but 30 degrees the other way. Mm-hmm. And now he's got a great business. He goes, he goes I actually like this more. I, don't, I have less staff, less overhead, higher margins, and I'm still doing the great date night. Mm-hmm. That's so good. I love that for anyone listening. It's not getting so, like we keep talking about the detachment from, well, this is how it's always looked. And I, I think the pandemic last year exposed exposed a lot of that. People had to find different ways to do it, but that's something we should be doing ongoing of, but it's it's so easy to get, you know, how do, and, and Todd, a question for you, how do we get like un, uh, unstuck out of our day-to-day? Like we're, we're head down, we're going, we're, you know, especially the the entrepreneurs out there, the solopreneurs, the people that are just like, I'm already working like 68. What do you mean? Like step back and look at what's working or what's not working. Like, I'm just trying to pay the bills. How do you, how do you recommend someone like step back and get some, some better perspective on their business? You know, it's a great question. I think it goes back to thinking about why are you doing this? I mean, the, I think the honest part, I think if we're honest with ourselves, I mean, I should have been more honest with myself. It's like what I was doing, I, was, wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't building a company. I was building a job. Because I had a mm-hmm. kid to feed. I mean, that's what I was doing. I lied to myself and said I'm building a company and the skill sets to, to build a job and the skill sets to build a company for me weren't necessarily identical. I had to learn a new set of skill sets. Um, at the end of the day, though, if you're putting in 60 hours a week and you're not making the kind of income you'd like to make, slow down and maybe peel back and see what, what are you doing that's working? What are you doing that's not working well? And are, are you focused on revenue? Are you like for me? I was focused on on revenue, not on margin. That's how I get six hundred thousand dollars in debt. And as I pivoted away from, if I'm trading time for money, well, how do I trade my my one hour I can sell for more money? And, and that requires you to take a look at your ikigai. It requires you to look at your why. What do you do better than anybody else? And how can then you market that and get people to buy from you? When you're a commodity provider, you're going to make a commodity in, income. That's been my experience. When I'm committing against Kelly services and manpower and getting my you know teeth handed to me and thinking, well, 
Someone's just going to like me and they're going to pay me more. Is, it, is the world's worst philosophy versus here's the measurable things I do differently. Here's what the marketplace needs. Here's the supply I'm able to provide to it that it can't find on its own. And here's the value I can add for both the candidate and for the company in the staffing company so we get paid more money. That pivoting became much clearer to me. But when we're doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result and working 60 hours a week, I would challenge anybody, are you working 60 productive hours? Mm-hmm. Or, or are you kidding yourself? Because this is cl- no, no one's ever asked me this question. I love this question. So I used to make this to-do list every day. And if I got that to-do list done, crossed it all off, I felt pretty successful at the end of the day. But I would cheat. I cheated, Dave. Go to lunch, cross that off. Pick up dry cleaning, cross it. That's not a to-do list. <laughs> but I would, but it was the you know the instant the instant gratification piece. So I would really challenge anybody. If you have a unique skill set, are you you know what's not working for you? Put it into the active learning cycle. See what comes out on the other side. Mm-hmm. That's so good. I, I love that answer, and that's you know something something I can relate to personally. And I know plenty of other best business owners can as well. I want to hear from the your experience in working with your coach and more of the neuro side of things. Of why what's what, what in your opinion or your experience keeps people from addressing those things head on. Cause I think we, we have a lot of the, we, we rely subjectively on things and it's a lot of how's business going like good. And, and it's not obje- like, you're talking about a lot of objective things of like, this is what this is. This is the plan. This is what we're making. This is where, and a lot of people are more like, Oh, it's going good. Or we're doing, we're doing pretty good. And it's like, that's, that's so, like compared to what, what are we, what are we comparing to? What, what, what keeps people from like wanting, is it a fear thing that keeps them from wanting to like brutally face the, the facts? Oh, yeah, it's absolutely, it's, it's the Stockdale paradox. The, the brutal reality is. Um, so a couple of things come to mind. Someone asked me the other day, why doesn't someone hire me as a coach? I said, oh, because they're not ready. They're just not ready. And what's preventing them from being ready? Just like changing their business, pride and ego. It's, it's just pride and ego. Pride and ego is our defense mechanism. People are very much afraid of failing, but also people are very much afraid of succeeding. Mm-hmm. And we, we bargain with ourselves that I'm not worth this, or I can't believe I didn't get that or what have you. But it's, it's the pride and ego. So you're questionable. If I were to meet you and say, how's it my business? Oh, my business is good. Good. Dave, tell me what does good mean to you? Well, I didn't have to, I didn't have to draw my line of credit today. Oh, okay. That's a, a version of it. Makes sense. I want to validate you in it. What would better look like? Better would look like if I didn't have to depend on my spouse to make sure we made our house payment. Mm-hmm. Oh, so it's shifting that paradigm through the questions. It's not a matter that, that someone's necessarily smarter than the entrepreneur. It's shifting their perspective. It's, it's like I do this exercise when I'm on stage. I'll take a big marker and a piece of paper and I'll draw. I'll bring someone on stage and I'll put down the piece of paper and I'll say, what do you see? Because I'll draw. I will draw from my perspective a six. From their perspective, they'll see a nine. I'll ask, who's right? Well, we're both are. It's all the perspective we take on it. So if good to you and that's if a, good, a version of good is acceptable to you, like, hey, I'm paying my bills. I'm putting my kids through school and I, I have nice, week, nice weekends free and I make you know X dollar. That's great. If good to you is like, well, you know, I didn't have to dip into the bank account this month. Well, is there a better version of what? And it's just asking those questions. That's what a coach does. A coach really shifts your perspective on something, gets you to see it through a different piece. And then, you know, if they, like myself, if you have a business background, I can give you ideas, tips, and tricks on how to make more money, do things differently, serve your customers in a different way, serve your employees. I mean, coach, I think a coach is doing a really great job if he gets the CEO to do two things. Those two things are really really easy to do. The first thing a good CEO should be doing is removing bottlenecks. And how does a, co- a good CEO remove bottlenecks? He asks his team, what are the bottlenecks? What's mm-hmm. preventing? I mean, he doesn't know. He doesn't walk in like 
a genius. And then he, the other thing is he makes it easy. He makes it easy for the customers to work with him. And he makes it easy, easy for the employees to work for them. You do those two things, the world is your oyster. But you unpeel the layers of you know making it easy. You make you unpeel the layers uh, uh, of removing bottlenecks. Oh my gosh. Well, I can't remove bottlenecks in the manufacturing department of my company because my cousin's the manufacturing manager and I can't fire him because he'd be jobless. Oh, people have said that. Or why can't you, you know, why aren't you growing sales? Well, you know, I, I, you know, I, I play softball with the sales manager. He's the best softball on the team. I can't fire him because you go play. The, the, I, I, literally, I, I start staring because the reasons people give to not make choices different or different reasons or different decisions in their companies will boggle your mind. That's so funny. And I, I believe it though. And, and those, those are extreme examples, but I'm sure anyone listening can, can think of times where they've justified things. We're, we're really good at, at justifying whatever we're doing. And it, it, those sound, those sound ridiculous. And, uh, but there's, there's plenty of other things of, of why we're little, little things of why we got something done, didn't get something done. It's, we always come up with these, these reasons and they seem rational to us, but when you have a coach, when you have someone to be accountable to, and you can peel back those layers and ask those questions. It's kind of like, oh yeah, maybe that it was wasn't as good of a reason as I, I thought it might have been for why I didn't do that. Yeah, well, as a coach, I'm going to challenge you to give to justify the reason. You know, classic is I can't give my clients a price increase. Why? Well, they'll all leave. Okay, you have a hundred clients; they're all going to leave. Okay, let's assume they do. Then what are you going to do? Because your margins aren't where they need to be. There's been cost increases across your sector for your raw materials, for example. So, so they're. Yeah, they're going to leave because you go out of business too. So let's take a look at what is the messaging around it. Part of it is they just have to lean into that uncomfortable conversation, first and foremost, with themselves, then secondarily with their customers, and to be able to practice getting it out. Then they try it with a couple, and they, they get told, yeah, we understand. Oh, it wasn't so bad. In the absence of communication, the fear stories we tell ourselves will literally shut us down. Mm-hmm. It's leaning into, not away from uncomfortable. Yeah, I love that, and that's where that's where all the the, the stories happen in our head. We we make up all these scenarios of what already happened in the conversation that we didn't have yet, and then it usually ends up not being as bad. And that's uh, that's going to keep us from getting to the next level and keep us from from doing those things. What a uh, from from your perspective, what from a failure standpoint? Because I think this goes along with it. Well, you, you mentioned failure versus versus learning. Like what? What requires that perspective shift? What what gets people because failure is so deeply ingrained in in things we want to avoid. We're told probably from kids to well, don't you like like there's a lot of no 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 don't do that don't do anything that's gonna you know you can't do that and, and there's there's failure already ingraining us. What uh what can get that perspective shift from failure to to learning? Again, I got to give credit where credit is due. Dr. Danny Friedland said this. You know, failure is nothing more than a construct we teach ourselves. Failure is nothing more than a word in a dictionary. His perspective is if we try something and we learn something, we maybe we learn it didn't work, i.e. failure. If we try something and we learn and we iterate and we move forward, that's nothing more than another step along our pathway to success. Uh, I know in our, our conversation earlier today, I was telking about a nine-year-old boy named Alec. I went and spoke in Toronto. Alec got this before any other adult in the room. He drew this picture. It's in my book. I think it's like, I think I'm, I think it's like page 215. There's a picture of Alec holding this big sign. And he came up to me afterwards and he said, so Mr. Todd, look at my picture. And he wrote FFF, he wrote 13 Fs because I said the word fail 13 times. And then there's a big, the big, big S of success. And he goes, so as long as I'm continuing on this path, these stepping stones, because I kept saying stepping stones in the speech, he goes, I'm going to get to success. So really, I'm never going to fail. And he gives me a big hug and he walks away. I'm like, 
dude, I got to take your picture. I took his picture. That's what I put in the book. But his mom was standing behind him and she was, she was very much moved by the exchange I had with her son, which was so heartwarming. She's like, he's had such a negative mindset for so year, so many years. He's, he just, I can't try that. I, I stink. I'm going to fail. She was in one speech, you've helped get him unlocked around literally fail, failure is a construct. If you do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, that's a different issue. But if you try something and, and you know, the guy with the restaurant or, or people I know in, in other places and you try it and it doesn't work, that doesn't mean you failed. That doesn't mean you're a failure. It means it didn't work. But what did you, the, 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 the awareness becomes for self, I tried it. It didn't work. What did I learn? And how can I use it tomorrow? Versus woe is me, sky is falling, chicken littling all over the place. That doesn't help. So again, I challenge anybody listening today, if a nine-year-old boy can learn this, so can you. And it's failing, it's failing quickly. It's it's failing up. Like the people, people I know that succeed the most are the ones that implement quickly. They they learn, they learn, they learn. And it's not people going for this home run type of people spend so long planning for this one launch. And it's like, Oh, it's going to be perfect because I just know it is because it's my idea. And then it launches and they've, they've wasted months or some people yeah. years of, of, of planning. And then they, they run into this big fail, which yeah. is, which is not what you're talking about. No, no, it's that, that's focus on perfect. So it's progress, not perfection. And it, it requires go back to the active learning cycle. It's, it's at the end of every chapter of my book because it's so that it's so important to reframe the way we do things. And we iterate and we try it and we iterate and we try it. We iterate and we try it. It's that iterative cycle uh, uh, of trying things all the time. I mean, the guys in the tech space are classic for this. You know, how many, how many versions have, have I gotten from a certain app on my iPhone? I, I love the upgrades. That's great. But what about all the bugs they fixed, which are basically IE failures, right? So yeah. these guys are learning in trivia. And, and I remember back in the days of my company, Diversified Industrial Staffing, we used to give out the fail, the fail Forward Award because we would have you know, these risk-taking people who would work for us who would try a bunch of different ways to market candidates and different ways to get candidates engaged. A lot of them didn't work. I mean, Colonel, I, I tell a story in my book about Colonel Sanders. Colonel Sanders went on 1,009 appointments before he got his first franchise deal. He was in his 60s living in his car. You know, I don't know if anybody listening today is, you know, in, in that current state of life. If they are, use the colonel as an example. But he he and he iterated a thousand and nine times. Mm-hmm. Boom, to make a global brand in his 60s and 70s. Yeah. Such a and, and there's so many examples like that though, too. But people 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 don't uh they, they see that and it's like, oh, well, that's just that's just one thing, or that's just someone who was who was persistent. But that's that happens all over the place too, and it's uh, there's plenty of things documented in the big things, but there's plenty of people every day doing that on smaller scales too, and just uh, you know doing the same thing of just implementing, not seeing it, taking in the feedback, taking in not being offended when a customer says no, but being able to ask and say like, hey, what, like what what could we have done better? Like that's that's a tough yeah. question for for businesses to ask of like, hey, what what could we have done better? Like where did we and and getting to that, the more you get that feedback too, you might you might discover one of those blind spots that you didn't know you had. Well, I think the great thing, you know, I, I used vendors for kind of a quarter century. I loved it when the guy didn't get the deal and said, Hey, listen, I know you picked another vendor. I understand that. Yeah. I'm disappointed. Yeah. That makes sense. What could I have done differently? What can I do different next time to earn your business? What did you need from me? I really want to learn because what I, the reaction I had is like, Oh my gosh, this person really does care. They, they want to learn and grow. And you know, the, the, what I've learned, especially for when things don't go well, that's the true measure of customer service. It's not when things are easy, when things go well. It's more like when things go fall apart, things don't work out. What are you going to do to make it better? You don't get the deal. You want to be in the, around for the next round of contracts. 
well, here's what I need you to do differently. And when they actually show up and they've, they've pivoted and learned and, and they're engaged, I'm interested in that relationship, not just that purchase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so good. I love I love all that. We talked a lot on kind of like leadership and mindset, some of those limiting beliefs. And, and you mentioned something earlier I want to circle back to is because uh, that, that's so so key as the as a leader. I like I love the inside out uh, reference and being able to you know work on work on yourself first. Like you can't just go lead people and then not be not be practicing that self leadership. But what from a team standpoint? Because to to grow the way that that you have, you need great people around you. And you mentioned something about hiring on DNA instead of resume. Yeah, DNA if not for resume, right? Yeah. Tell me tell me more about that. Yeah. Because the mistake I used to make is I would only hire people who you know had a recruiting background, an HR background, and I and I found that if they, if I didn't hire for their DNA, which is essentially your core values match the core values of me and the organization, it didn't really work really well. As I pivoted through you know the times, and you know we made we made some great hires. I mean, I, Becky was with me for gosh 16, 17 years. Um, we also made mistakes, and we we learn over the course of time as as a leadership team, we need to focus on culture. And everybody, and it's kind of a buzzword right now. But if you really want to take a look at a step below what culture creates, what culture creates is psychological safety in the workplace. So people feel seen, heard, known, and accepted. You create that psychologically safe work environment. And Google's doing a lot of work around this right now. Just type in psychologically safe work environment. Google's going to pop up. Because if you realize that the one differentiator they have as any business, whatever, regardless of whether you do restaurants or retail or manufacturing or tech or what have you, is people. People are the biggest differentiator. And if you want to get the best people in a world right now where there's more jobs than there are people, believe it or not, um, you've got to offer them something. You've got to offer them a safe place to be where they feel seen, heard, known, and accepted. And when they feel that way, they're going to want to work for you. And they're going to want to do well for you because you're doing well by them. It's a, it's a reciprocal relationship. It's not the 1970s where employees are to be seen, heard, see, seen but not heard, so to speak. But that's a real, I found a real key differentiator for those companies. When you create this psychologically safe work environment, you actually have longer term term employees and more productive employees because they're happier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's so good. I, and even if culture gets thrown around a lot, like I love how you you kind of reframe that in terms of what, what people are really looking for and why that's so so important. How do you, and I'm curious on this, because a lot of people throw around core values a lot too, and people have their core values listed. How do you actually create like a lot, how do you actually embed those into a company versus just having them up on the wall or being like, oh yeah, these are kind of our core values, but you look around at the people, you look at the leader maybe, and it's like, they're not exhibiting any of those. How do you, how do you embed some of that? Oh, it was, so I always challenge the, the, the leadership teams to, if they can, if they're big enough in, in capacity, you know, and you only need four or five people is to have the team create the core values. But often in the beginning, it was the same with me, it was, it was my core values translated through the organization. Here's the, the great thing I've learned about core values. There's a couple of things. One, core values, if you really believe them, you will hire and fire by them. Anybody. You'll hire and fire anybody by core, your core values. If someone violates, I had a client who, who one of their core values was, was violated by the best friend of the owner. They fired this guy. That's, that, like, that's putting a stake in the ground, and that's what you believe. Mm-hmm. So, so the core values of the organization really are the differentiators when it comes to things like that. The other thing I'd say about core values, and you know, you've kind of, you kind of hit a home run with them is when every core value, whether you have, you know, two to 10 has a story attached to it. The whole company knows, mm-hmm. uh, you get a client, the construction space, their core value is make mama proud. And everybody knew the story because the founder, when he built his first home, took his mom to the job site and the house, she was just, you know, beaming, 
And she was mm. so proud of her little boy, so to speak, the way he tells the story, he gets all excited and emotional. Well, he tells that story now in every interview he does with a new person. He tells that he has the HR people tell that story on the phone when they, they're screening people. That story has become folklore. But make mama proud means well, we, we do quality work. We do it on time. Everything looks, there's a lot of sub pieces that, you know, we, we you know, everybody can put on their wall. We have, we have honesty, integrity, and quality. Okay. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about that. You know, give me give me three stories where you were you were honest with somebody and you gave them back money when you you know mistakenly they paid a bill twice. Or is, I mean, tell me some stories around that versus the make mama proud story is really clear. Everybody in the company knows it, and it's part of who they are as an organization. Mm-hmm. I love that attaching stories to it. That's something that, and when you can get that throughout the whole whole company, I, I can see where that can create something unique. Because like you're saying, I think uh, I think I was reading somewhere recently. Uh, Enron had a. Uh, honesty and integrity and excellence or something were part of their core values. And it's like, yeah, that turned out. <laughs> there's some, there's, there's some disconnect there between actually, uh, actually living that out. But, uh, Todd, I've, I've, I've loved this conversation so far, uh, as, as we wrap up, I'd, I'd love to just hear, you know, your perspective of to your, you know, to yourself, maybe 10 years ago, what kind of, what kind of advice would you give to, you know, to someone who, you know, and, and I don't know the exact timeline, but when you're, when you're stuck in, in the debt, when you're, uh, just feel overwhelmed. You're, you're up to your head. You're, you're wondering if this is the right decision and you're questioning if, if like, should I keep going? Should I not? Like, what would you say to someone like that? Who's, who feels stuck, who feels like they're struggling in business? Oh, I, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you the advice my coach gave me when I hired him. It's like second days on site in 2006. <laughs> and he said, so you made business is kind of in bad shape. He was trying to be nice about it. <laughs> yeah. How did you get here? And I'm telling him the, this, the decisions we reached. He was like, you're not selling me on this. Why did you make those decisions? He said, I made the decisions to make my staff happy. I made the decisions to make my clients happy. He was, well, clearly that didn't work. I said, yes, clearly. There's 600,000 reasons why that, we, it's pretty evident that didn't work. He goes, what would you have done if you could go back in time? Well, I would have done this, 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 and this. He's like, those are great answers. Why didn't you do that? Trust your gut. I was, I would not, I was not trusting my gut at the, because it was more important to me to be liked by my clients, liked by my employees. At the end of the day, the employees all had to go because I couldn't afford to keep them. The clients, I had to fire them because there wasn't any margin in them. So the reasons were, were, were backwards. Mm-hmm. And now someone listening may say, well, you know, I did trust my gut and it didn't work out. Check your gut. Have someone give you validation. So for me, I'd say, yeah, I wish I would have trusted my gut and, and I wish I would have verified it versus living in a, in a vacuum, isolating myself in a silo, thinking again, I had to be all things to all people to make everyone else happy at my expense. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's so good for, and a lot of people, I think a lot of people can relate to that. I know we've, we've struggled in our company pleasing, trying to please too much of whether that's customers and employee or someone like, and, and not not staying true to, to who we are. And, and any, any time that we compensate on that and went more for the fear of displeasing someone, it always comes back as something that we, uh, we learn from, we don't, we don't fail from, but, but we learn from. So love that. To, Look, yeah. great pivot, great I'm, pivot. I'm, I'm, I'm learning already. Yeah. So lear, learning the, uh, learning the language. So Todd, I've, I've loved this. Uh, where, where's the best place for people to reach out to you? We can, uh, we can link your book up in the show notes too. Uh, where, where are the good places though for people to connect with you? Well, you, you know, I think if people are interested in what we've talked about today, the first place I'd suggest they go to is go to the book website from suck to success.com. There's a free chapter available. Just put in your email. We'll send it to you right away and you can get started and check it out. Um, and from there, you can certainly go to Amazon and pick up the book if you're interested. And sec- secondarily, you know, someone's going to hear the story like, wow, this guy talked to 42 CEOs in 67 days for free. I wonder if he talked to me. Well, I will. 
I'll talk to anybody. I mean, I had people, I had someone who, who sold um, Amway and a- Avon call me during these crises. I'm happy to talk to any entrepreneur because if I, so many people have been generous with their time for me. It's my chance to pay it back. I, um, maybe I'll get a client out of it. Maybe I want, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end of the day, the, the, an entrepreneur alone is an entrepreneur at risk. It's one of my core values. So by people reaching out, just go to Todd at extraordinaryadvisors.com. Send me an email. I'm happy to get you on my calendar. We'll have a call to see what's got you stuck. I love that, Todd. I appreciate your your heart to serve and give back to you because I, I can tell you, you've been there and that's been such an influence for you. And I, I hope people take you up on it. And there's there's so much good from this conversation. So thanks so much for for sharing the the wisdom and the experience. And I appreciate you coming on, Todd. Dave, thanks for the opportunity. It was great to be here. Thanks for listening today, guys. I'm believing that even if you apply one thing from today's show, you're taking one step closer to living as the man you were made to be. Meaningful change doesn't happen overnight. So keep showing up and keep consistent every single day until good things start to happen. If you haven't already, taking 60 seconds to write a review on whatever platform you're listening on goes a long way in growing this podcast and reaching other men just like you that are hungry for more in their life. If you have any questions on today's show, feedback, or content you want to see more of, shoot me a text. Yep, text me. 760-477-4361. At 760-477-4361. Let me know that you're listening in so I can personally thank you for your support of myself and the show. That's it for today, guys. It's time to raise your standard for yourself. Stop settling for just getting by. Go all in on your passions and the life you were made for. I love you guys and talk to you soon.